Welcome back to Writing the Narrative with Jake and Eddie. I'm Jake. And I'm Eddie. Eddie, do you know what our topic is today? Personalities Part 3. Part 3 in the three-part saga that is personalities. You guys love personalities so much. Um, a lot of our few fans, I said a lot of fans. I was, I was going to say a lot of our fans out there, implying that we have lots of fans. We don't have a lot of friends and or fans. So, <laughs> But the few select fans that we do have really like the personality. Part 1 episode. And personalities Part 2 was, you know, so-so. Yeah, it was kind of a mess, but that's what happens when you try and talk about the broad spectrum. Right. So in the first episode of Personalities, which is our very first episode, we should go watch if you haven't yet. It basically we get you into the general realm of personalities. Um, we typed each other. We talked about each other's typings. Um, and then in the second episode, of, well, not second episode, second part of Personalities, Personalities Part 2, we looked at how personalities as a whole affect America with politics, uh, ranging from a lot of different things. But at the end, we did go into each other's, like, cognitive functions. And, and today, such. that's what we want to get into with Personalities Part 3, is the nit-and-gritty cognitive functions. So, to start off with, Eddie, what is a cognitive function? A cognitive function is... Well, I guess the best way to describe it is first going into how they are developed. So from a young age, it's very hard to tell what a, a child's personality type is. Their dominant function, their first function, also called the hero function, is first developed, you can start seeing it around six. And so it's basically just a way that our mind structures us. It you can see these patterns within people and we have labeled those such patterns cognitive functions. So for instance, introverted thinking, that's what your brain does when you're, you know, thinking inside of your head. So cognitive functions kind of in the name a little bit. Yeah. It's how the world works. It's how the world, well, not the world, how people think, how how how, how people use their brains, how how the mind tells the body to interact with the world. Yeah, it's just a different. I like that. I like the way you said it and how the how we use our brains, mm-hmm. how different people use their brains. So, how many are there? There are eight in total. So, you have two thinking functions two sensing functions, two intuitive functions, and two feeling functions. Uh, can we break that down a little further? What yeah. do those each mean? So you have your introverted functions and your extroverted functions. You have introverted thinking, which is, I mean, it's what it kind of implies. So introverted, it's about going inwards, extroverted it's about going outwards so a good example would be uh, jacob and i i have introverted thinking meaning that i think for myself right and uh, but jacob he more looks at everything else and then takes that in he's looking outwards Uh, extroverted thinking is also about structure loves structure can't live without it what's the next one going down the list 
Then we have our sensing functions. Introverted sensing is about familiarity as a whole. Okay. It's mm. it's kind of dark. Not dark, but like what's a good word for that? It's not dark, it's um deep? I don't Yeah, I don't deep. Deep is a good word. I was thinking I don't know what dark yeah, whatever. Keep going. You're on a a roll. You're on a roll here. Okay. So introverted sensing is also about your own experiences. It's about the past and memory, especially long-term memory. Uh, If you have introverted sensing, your brain is just able to take things in like a sponge. Extroverted sensing, on the other hand, is more about short-term memory, which can be very good it's also about just present in general and the reason why is because it's extroverted so you're looking at everything you're smelling everything all the five senses are just heightened more when you have extroverted sensing rather than introverted sensing and it's also about other people's experiences so when you have extroverted sensing, you don't really focus on your own experiences that much. And uh, so if, if you were to have it as your third function, we'll, we'll cover that later on. But that would be what you want to give people or, or just in general what you want. So you would want to give people good experiences. Okay. Okay. And what's the next one? The next one is the intuitive functions. So what do, wait, wait, what have we gone through so far? We've gone through we we've gone through introverted thinking, extroverted thinking, introverted sensing, extroverted sensing. Okay. So, so we're we're halfway through right now. Thinking, sensing, what was the first one? Is that all we've done? Yeah. Okay, thinking, thinking sensing, and, and then... Now on to intuition, the intuitive functions. So these are both about the future. Before, the sensing functions are about the the past and the present. Now we're getting on to all about the future, abstract. And so introverted intuition, I consider it about willpower. Willpower. That's a funny way of putting it. People who have introverted intuition, they, uh, like you, you have introverted intuition. You're very high in it. Um, It's, you always know what you want and you always know your own intentions. So, because of that, you have lots of willpower because you just go after what you want. And then it, it's also about narrowing things down, right? So, like, there are, what's the best way to describe it? There are two ways that you can look at a tree, right? You can look at it from the bottom going up, which is, you know, it starts from one point and then spirals out into all these different branches and such. And then you can look at it from the the up to, towards the bottom. So, so the take, branches going down to... 
so one the, point. So the branches would be all the little things that you have to get done going into a final goal. And well, then... it it's just anything, really. Yeah. NI, introverted sensing, always wants to narrow everything down. So for you, it means that you, you just like the simple things, right? It's easier for you to understand. Yeah. And that's, that's the we reason call, why. We call my monkey brain small. No, it's just what your brain prefers, right? It would rather take the most important points and be very detail-oriented than go big picture and have multiple different points. That's true. It's easier. Yeah. And so your brain and, and just introverted intuition overall is like that up-down perspective where you are looking at it and all these branches are coming down to the base to one point. That's what your brain is trying to do with introverted intuition. And the other way is what? You see a general thing and then all the different options coming off of it? Yes. So those are the big picture kind of people. That's me, extroverted intuition. Hmm. And so these are the people who are going to be good at multitasking but they're very bad at willpower and the reason why is because if you're high in extroverted intuition you aren't very high in introverted intuition that's the trade-off so these people they're really good at multitasking really good at picking up new things but really hard at keeping those things rough and so it's also about other people's intentions and what they want. So if you're very high in extroverted intuition, you can tell what people want and what their intentions are. Sure. Which can be useful. It can be very useful. You can predict people. Yeah. That's the kind of people that predict people. Like, I know what you're going to say before you even say it kind of, kind of thing. That's very impressive um, for the people who can do that. Uh, there are some people like debaters. Like they can have whole debates in their head, uh, like the like top debate people in the country for like high school high school debate teams, mm-hmm. which sounds super fucking nerdy because it is. I mean, it's high school debate team. Come on, no one's yeah. no one's gonna be like, oh, you're top fifty in the high school debate teams in the world. No one gives a shit. Regardless, <laughs> top debaters can like they so you know they're randomly giving an given an argument and yeah. they have to debate it from each side and they don't get to pick what side really. But the the pros and cons with that is they have the debate in their head before they even have the debate. So I know that sounds third world meta. It's because it is. It's crazy. I've seen people do it. They have the argument with themselves in their own mind trying to predict what the person across from them is going to say and how they're going to argue it and how can they best counteract that argument that hasn't even happened yet. Mm-hmm. So they're ready. They're prepared for it. It's great. I love it. Well, it's... It's interesting because you can take that either way with intuition. So yours, you're more likely to look at the the most likely future. So you're going to be like, okay, this, I think this is the most likely. I'm going to only think about this future, not the other futures, because if the most likely future is what's going to happen then that's the one that I need to focus so on. I, so I play the odds? It, again, detail-oriented. Your mind just wants to 
go into one point. So yeah, narrow, you, you narrow play, it down. Yeah, you play the odds. And then there's other people that think big picture. They think, oh, what if I like? Let's use this example as like, uh, let's go on a road trip, right? Mm-hmm. I think about how much money I need to bring for gas, right? How much money I need to bring for an overnight stay, um, how to pack the car for just the exact amount of nights that I am staying. Mm-hmm. I like, but I, you on the other hand, you would think about, oh, what if I get a flat tire? I need to be able to change that. Um, if I need to stay extra, I'll bring extra clothes, stuff like that. Sort of, yes. Like, you would focus on the biggest points first. It's uh, sometimes very hard for you to get all of the all of the picture, you okay. know? But the points that you do focus on, you do very well at. Hmm. So Thank you. Yeah. I'll take that as a compliment for now, because I'm sure they're going to get into some later stuff where it will not be a compliment, will it? <laughs> Well, that's that's when we go inside of the unconscious and oh god, we're that. not even there yet. All right, so yeah. we've got a little off topic. The, what what have we covered so far? Oh, we we fully co- covered introverted intuition. Right. Um, now we're on to extroverted intuition. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and if you're a little lost, we'll go back and we'll briefly just sum up the everything else we've gone through. Yeah. Continue. So. Uh, you're looking at all the different possible futures, but not really dwelling into them that much. So you're like, well, this could happen, that could happen. Uh, maybe this will happen over here. I don't know. Like your brain is just thinking of a, all, all these different things and then it's moving on to the next thing, right? That That's the main thing is that instead of being so determined and thinking about one thing for so long, you keep moving on to thing to thing to thing to thing. And so that does that become a problem whenever that uh, one project is a big thing to handle? Yes. Yeah. So people who are very high in extroverted intuition have a very hard time in school. Mm. And the reason why is just because they can't focus. They don't have the willpower that people with introverted intuition have. And so I'm one of those people who can't focus in school. Is that what you're saying? Well, you're very good at focusing. You're very good at willpower. It's just the things that you choose to focus on isn't school. Huh. What do I choose to focus on? I don't even know. Actually, I do know. It's not school. <laughs> it's a lot of other things, but it's yeah. not school. And Why is that, though? Why do I... I don't... I would like to focus on school. I'd like to be well-educated. Mm-hmm. I just I can't. I don't. I don't know what it is. So it's just... Those are the kind of things that are subjective. So all these cognitive functions, all these personality types, it's not what you think. It's how you think. It's the way that your brain is structured. So all the subjective things, all the all the things that are like specifically you and what you like, those are what fill in the outline. Mm-hmm. So you have this outline, this structure, and then your brain takes all those, all these subjective matters, what you like, and then puts it in those little slots that it's selected for it. Huh. So when I am thinking, it's kind of like an outlet? Like, you plug it in? I guess I'm a little lost with here. Okay, so... For instance, you really love to focus, right? You you really want to focus on one thing at a time. 
feels right. good. But what you are focusing on is can only be what you like. So if you don't like school, you aren't going to focus on it. Hmm. That's not to your personality type that you don't like school. It's just, I mean, it kind of is, but not. Like, you could like the structure of school. You could like that you go and see your friends every day. But if you if you don't like school, then you aren't going to focus on it. You know, that's a subjective matter. So your your brain has this structure... And then you decide to pick and choose what you want to put in that structure. So you can actively, but that's the key word is pick and choose. Yeah. So I could change. I could change who I am in school. Yeah. It's just, but, but I couldn't, I couldn't have both. Could I? Let's go back to the house analogy, right? Like you have a living room, right? You know what to put inside of that living room. It's structured, right? Mm -hmm. But you can change the layout. You can change the furniture, right? It's the same thing inside of your mind. You you walk in and you know that this is a living room. You know what should be in it, but you get to pick and choose what is in it Mm. to your liking. So you just chose, I don't like school. I'm not going to put that in my living room. Screw that. I wish I could go back and (laughs) refurnish the living room. Something nicer, more bougie, you know? You can still do that, right? You can change your furniture anytime you want. Come on now. It's a little late for that. I don't think so. I mean, I could, really, but I wish I could go back and do it earlier. That's the one thing you can't buy is time, so Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. So what's the next one? We just covered... Now we're we're on to the feeling functions. Okay. And there's okay. how many? Four? There's two. So we no, covered... No, no, for total. How many total? Oh, well, there's eight cognitive functions in total. We've covered three. We've covered six. Oh, okay. So you're saying each one has two. Yeah. So how many broader ones? Not, not oh, two. broad ones. Yeah. So four. Okay. And then yeah. we've covered three. Yes. Which are... We have covered, first we did the thinking functions, then the sensing functions, then the intuitive functions, now we're on to the feeling functions. All right. So introverted feeling, it's exactly what it means, feeling inwards. So these are your own morals. First, I should probably get out of the way the difference between moral people and ethical people. because What is the difference, Eddie? Most people think those are the same thing. They're literally the exact opposite. <laughs> so okay. if you have a high moral compass, that means you do what you feel is right. If you have a high uh, ethical compass, that means you do what the entire society feels is right. Hmm. That's interesting. It does sound similar, but then if you break it down, it's very much so different. Yeah. So so, it, it's, so if you're moral, you're focused on your own beliefs. If you're ethical, you're focused on the collective belief. That's an interesting... So people think differently about that. Yeah. So back in the day, in the 1920s, it was ethical to 
go against gay people, for example. Nobody liked gay people. I mean, some people did, but the the overall uh, ethics of gay people were dis yeah dislike. frowned upon. Yeah, right. And so that was an ethical decision. And then the the people who were gay were probably moral people. They they felt you know like hey I'm like this is what I believe in. This is what I, I this is who I am. Yeah. Okay. So those those are the two personality types, ethical and moral. Well, those are the not two personality types. Uh, feeling types. Okay. So so we're getting away from introverted and extroverted. It's yeah. You can either be moral. Or you can be ethical, but you can't really be both, both. at the same time. Hmm. So you're a very moral person. I'm a very ethical person. I do you really think you're an ethical person? Yeah. You go with social norms. I don't necessarily go with social norms, but I go with uh, how other people feel. I don't. I don't feel for myself. True, but the way you just described it to me, it's like you make your decisions based off of others. You don't really make your decisions based off of others. Well, I think for myself, right? But I can't feel for myself. Oh, because we're in we're in the topic of feeling, aren't we? Yeah. So it's not. So okay, that's where my confusion came in because I was thinking like decision based. This is feeling based, which are different. Yeah. So ethical versus moral feelings. This is why the gay analogy you used was so accurate mm-hmm. because it's how they feel. Yeah. Okay. All right. I get it now. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. And also something to note, if you were a gay ethical person in like the 1920s, you would have felt a lot of guilt. And the reason why is because you'd be gay, but then your mind would also be telling you, hey, society says this isn't right. This is wrong for me to be gay. So you also go into... Uh, like that's another example you know like mm-hmm. if the if you know between moral and ethical people what okay so those are the four cognitive functions well uh, I, I do still need to dive a little bit deeper into introverted versus extroverted feeling so introverted feeling people they're the moral ones they're the ones who feel for themselves and they're the ones who do what they believe is right. Um, so it's about morals and principles and doing what they feel, right? And then the extroverted feelers, that's me, um, they feel through other people. So they don't really feel for themselves. What, what that means is that, like, when they're by themselves... They, they really don't know how to feel. It's kind of weird. Like, I know, like, as an introverted feeler, you probably don't know. No, I what, don't. Yeah, what that feels like. But you, you just don't feel anything, really. You're neutral? You're just, yeah, you're just neutral. And there's other people in the world. I'm oh, not saying, like, there are. there. There's definitely other people in the world like this, but it's just such a crazy reality to me. Mm-hmm. Like, there are people who sit there and just don't feel sometimes yeah like your mom she's her first main dominant function is extroverted feeling meaning that she only feels through other people 
So. so. Oh. So. <laughs> so, so. Twinsies. <laughs> Pinch poke, you owe me a Coke. <laughs> uh, when, uh, but because it's her first and main function, it means that she's extroverted. So she just always wants to be by people. Therefore, she's she's going to be feeling a lot because she's just around people a lot. Sure. Um, it's just like she bases how she feels off of, you know, other people. So, like, if I'm sad, she's going to be sad. Right? If if I'm happy, she's going to be happy, you know? Like, also, if you're wondering, for you guys listening, I did not know any of this. This is Eddie. So, I'm trying to... What's interesting about these personality episodes is that I go into this with the same amount of knowledge as like the average viewer, right? Or listener, I should say, <laughs> in the fact that I don't know anything about anything. So it's really interesting for me to hear Eddie talk and absorb this information. Um, Eddie has this like spew of information, right? But he always, sometimes he doesn't know how to deliver that information, you know, effectively. Because uh, to him it makes sense, but to other people it might not make sense, right? So what I'm trying to do in this in these episodes is like expand upon his thoughts and knowledge to get a clearer understanding, which I feel like the average viewer at home is going to do uh, by themselves, but with me asking the questions. So I hope I'm not annoying viewers. I'm just trying to, for those who are lost, I'm trying to re like just make sure you have a better understanding, make sure you're following the episode because if I just let Eddie ramble on, you know, about personalities for 30 minutes, you would get so lost that it would be like uh, physics. I mean, it's crazy. It'd be like physics class all over again. You just get after like, or like oh, math class. You look away for two minutes and you learn something new and you look back over like you're not paying attention. You're looking out the window. You look back over and he's got the whole problem written on the board. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is happening? That's you. You have the spew of knowledge, but it takes a little polishing to really provide to the masses. Yeah. And I, I hope you don't take that as an insult. I, I don't, and that's actually why you and I do so well is because I have introverted thinking, which is all about, like, facts, data, um, just, like, thinking a whole bunch. And then you have extroverted thinking, which is about structure, efficiency, uh, getting things done. It's also about collective information, so that's kind of like rational thinking. So you originally, in the first part of this uh, episode, you talked about how our cognitive functions develop who we are as a whole when we're very young. Yes. Because it's it, even though we can't define personalities at a young age, it kind of starts, our, our mind inter- needs to interact with the world somehow. Yeah. Right? And this is shown through our cognitive functions? Yes. Mm. So we went through all eight of the cognitive functions, both introverted and extroverted. And so now it's important to show you where those go inside of your brain. Kind of like an example. Give examples, right? Uh, yeah. We're going to give examples, so. general broad ideas to help your understanding even better. Because trust me, you're not alone. This is very confusing. And if you've already made it 30 minutes into this episode and you're still like, I have no idea what they're talking about. We're going to clear it up for you. Yeah. Okay. So if you've seen Personalities Part 1, you know we use the reference of a house. Okay. Mm-hmm. We use uh, the house reference as, uh, what was it? The, oh God, help me out here. So it was the upstairs, mm-hmm. which was the subconscious. The happy place. Yeah, the happy place. Then you got your living room area, 
which is just the ego where you normally dwell. Mm-hmm. Your normal your normal mind state. The yeah. basement was the unconscious. So that's where your responsibility lies. It's easier to be in than your ego because you, you go downstairs mm-hmm. and that's easier than going upstairs. And then the yeah. deep seedy part of your basement that you don't like, the cave yeah. underneath the basement. Which is the super ego, where you go when you are mad or, or depressed. <laughs> just... yeah. Or you... they're depressed. Yeah, depressed. 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 <laughs> okay, so do you think uh, when we're describing the, um... oh my God, I lost it. Cognitive functions. The cognitive functions, the house reference still applies for a lot of this? Or are we going to have to break away from the house? We're, we're probably going to have to break away from the house and just show you how these would manifest in people. Okay. So let's start with the first one. Before I talked about uh, the main dominant function, the one that uh, you can see starting from around six years old, right? And for the majority of kids, at least. And is that introverted or extroverted? It's, well, that depends on what function it is, right? So, So what is the dominant function? The dominant function is just basically your brain picks one out of the eight functions to be the best at. That is your dominant function. For me, it's introverted thinking as an INTP. So my brain, when I was probably around like three, four, I don't know, somewhere around there, it was like, you know what? Out of the eight cognitive functions, introverted thinking is the best. So that's what I did, and that's what I'm good at. So are, are the cognitive functions the most we can break things down besides like the extroverted and introverted parts of that? Is it like the farthest we can go? As we know of right now, yes. But there's probably deeper, isn't there? Yeah. Because I love that the mind is so complex. It's so cool. It's yeah. so cool to me. I don't know what it is. I really don't. It's just something about the mind being just how where we are now and how we've developed technology tells me that there's more mm-hmm. that there's so much more that we could possibly do i'm excited if you've uh, read the news lately in the past like i don't know year or so elon musk is developing um neuralink neuralink technology and like brain technology and i'm oh it gets me so excited mm-hmm. oh it gets me so hard <laughs> so hard just thinking about talking to someone through our chips in our mind that would be pretty cool. Or like how the you've seen uh, amputees lose arms, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have the technology to like wire it to the brain, and so they think about it, and it moves the robot arm. Yeah. That's oh, crazy. <laughs> Jesus Christ! That's so great. Okay, where were we? We were talking about. We were talking about dominant functions. Dominant functions, and what are dominant functions? Just oh yeah, you already said this. I have a horrible memory because I'm an ENTJ. But the dominant function is pretty much what your brain decides when you're around six. It decides before then, but six is where right around where you start seeing it show. It show like five, like the more developed kids four. Mm-hmm. I'd say okay. So we'll go through and talk about the cognitive functions and what a person is like if they have chosen a particular dominant function for that function you know so 
we'll start with introverted thinking first. What is this person like? What is, is that what we're doing? What is an introverted thinking person like? Yes. For someone who is very high in introverted thinking, what are they like? So we're going to go through the eight, four, and then extroverted and introverted for each one. Yes. And then what is that person like? Okay. Exactly. Introverted thinking. Describe to me this person. Well, oh my God. It, it'll be very easy for me to describe this person because this person is me. Wow. Yeah. So uh, this kind of person values facts and data the most out of anything. Very logic driven. This this is also your dad. Uh, him and I have the same dominant function, just different personality types. Um, And so everything is logic based and if you have this as your dominant function, you only do what works. You don't really choose what's right unless you have developed your uh, feeling function. And the reason why is because, again, everything is just facts, data. You want everything to just be how it logically should be. Those are the people who have TI, a TI who are like, very high in ti Mm. so they're the kind of person that just can't see the world from a a feeling standpoint right yeah they can't feel bad for somebody they have to kind of look at the numbers of you know why they feel bad yeah they can't just feel bad they got to try and understand their brain through and whatnot this is also something that i guess i should uh, put as an important distinction So there is empathy and there is sympathy. I have empathy, but I have no sympathy. What's the difference for the people that don't know? (laughs) I'm not saying it's me, of course. (laughs) Who who don't? Who doesn't? Right? Who doesn't know this? Explain for the you know the nimwit who doesn't. (laughs) Empathy. Empathy is just being able to understand people's emotions. Sympathy is being able to feel their emotions. So that that's your mom, right? If she's if you're sad then she's going to be sad, right? If you're angry, she's going to be angry, which is something that you're very bad at. You you get angry and then all of a sudden she's angry. And then you think it's her fault. And then you're like, "Oh, why why does she have attitude right now?" But it's mostly just because she's very sympathetic and when you get angry at her, then she gets very angry at you. <laughs> I guess yeah. So because I can only think logically about things, I, I can understand people's emotions, but I will never be able to feel their emotions. That's sad. Yeah. So it, it's like, I know that you're angry and I know why you're angry, but I can't really like truly feel that same anger that you feel you can fake it though right well i mean yeah i I could be like well logically assuming if i were to be as angry as he is then i could do this to you know like (laughs) people who are high in introverted thinking they also ask themselves the question how does this work for me right so introverted thinkers they're more of the people who think for themselves in every way possible so they will they will be the ones who go out and research data 
right? The extroverted thinkers are more of the people who look at that data and use it. Introverted thinkers are the ones who are actually thinking up the original ideas and then going out and doing it. So then what is an extroverted thinker like? What kind of person are we describing here? Uh, extroverted thinkers, that's going to be you. You touched on it a little bit. Yeah. So these are the very structure-oriented people. They have to be systematic. They have to have a routine if they're very high in extroverted thinking. Um, and the reason why is because they're also very efficient thinkers. They always want everything to be as efficient as possible. We talked about that before in uh, Personalities Part 2, how you always want efficiency no matter what, no matter the cost. True, because it's the best. <laughs> and I will dive into it, not in this episode, because that's beating a dead horse. I talked about it in the second one. If you want to learn more on that, watch the second one. Yeah. Bitch. And so it's... The reason why you always want to be so systematic and have structure is because you think it's the most efficient way. Because, you know, when I say that these aren't the original thinkers, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just because you are so efficiency-focused, your brain is pretty much like, why would I think for myself when the information is already out there for me to take? That's the most efficient way. It's already there. And so uh, that's the way that you are with structuring things as well. That's why you love structure so much. I could literally give you an example. Okay. Uh, when I ever do homework, mm -hmm. right, and I know that there's an answer key out there, and the teacher says, oh, don't look at the answer key until after you're done. Fuck that. I am scrolling so fast to that answer key and just... I write down the answer first and I solve backwards. Yeah. Like I can't, ooh, it's so stupid when people are like, hmm, well, let's see if I got it right. I know. Bitch, I got this done in 15 more minutes than you did. Get out of here. I know stupid. another ENTJ who does the same exact thing. She puts out homework help and she like gets the answer and then like, okay, how did, how did they get that answer? You know? Oh, it's just so much better. Life is so much better when you when you think logically. Get things get done faster, and and to your point, um, you're you said we're not original thinkers, right? Mm -hmm. And you didn't mean that as an insult, but I think of it as a compliment, right? Because mm -hmm. you think of the ideas, and they're great ideas. But I look at that idea, and I'm like, well, that is a great idea, but it's shit show executed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could take that idea, I could make it ten times more efficient, I could streamline it, and then it's kind of like my own idea in a way. Yeah. So I I would I would I would fight that a little bit saying that we don't think for ourselves. Because it's not like we're not thinking for ourselves. It's the fact that we are able to take ideas and I guess what do you call a thought then? Because I consider a thought changing or creating something new in in our minds or in the world or whatever it is. If we're able to take a thought and then develop it into something clear-cut, better, isn't that technically a new independent thought? You know what well, I mean? The way that you make things more efficient is just by doing the same exact thing, just restructuring it into your own structure. Mm -hmm. So you have this set structure inside of your head, whether you think about it or not. And then you put, you take information and then you put it into your structure. 
and then you just do the stuff. So that's why it's so cool for you to be an extroverted thinker is that your brain is so focused on efficiency that it takes all this information and then it just plugs it into the structure and then it outputs it, you know? Um, you know what's cool about our dynamic? Mm-hmm. I like to think of the uh, Steve Jobs movie. <laughs> and uh, that sounds like a joke, but in the movie, there's Steve Jobs and there's Wozniak. Yeah. So if you don't know, Steve Jobs is more of the businessman and Wozniak was the actual guy who invented like the, I'm uh, the, uh, oh my God, the, what was it called? The Mac? Uh, Apple one, Apple one, Apple two, all the other stuff. He was the, he was the main guy. He was the technology guy. And that's what I think about it as our relationship is that you're Wozniak, right? So you come up with these great ideas, but then Steve Jobs sees it as, well, nobody wants to buy this. If I can tailor this to the American people, then you have Apple. (laughs) Steve Wozniak is actually an INTP like me. Oh, and some say, um, Steve Jobs is the ENTJ like me. Yeah. But that's debated. I don't think he is. Yeah. Anyways, we're getting off track, off track once more. So we covered uh, feeling, no, thinking? Introverted yeah, it, and extroverted in, thinking. Introverted, extroverted thinking. What's the next one? The next one is introverted sensing. Describe to me an introverted sensing person. Go. So before what I said was that it's all about familiarity. What... Because these are past-oriented people. They take the experiences that they have uh, – uh, they, they take the experiences that they have uh, developed over time and use that to their advantage. So they say, well, this happened in the past before, so I can kind of logically – uh, assume what it's going to be in the, in the future. So these people aren't really like future oriented, but whenever they do uh, think about the future, they go into uh, their past and what they have learned previously, and then build upon that. So uh, they're basically all about familiarity. It also makes them incredibly loyal people. Because, again, they they don't really want things to change all that much, right? Mm-hmm. They they want to hold on to what's familiar with them. And that can be good. It can also be bad. <laughs> really bad. Yeah. <laughs> because they trust people that they shouldn't trust anymore just based off past experiences. Exactly. They, they, because they can... let's say you get screwed over by a bad friend, right? Mm-hmm. But if you think back on it, you know, this friend has been my friend for 20 years. Yeah. Even though what they did was so horrible, the majority of experiences with that friend, even though they've changed, are are good. You're gonna stick with them. Mm-hmm. So it can be very hurtful. It can be very hurtful. Or like a toxic ex. Yeah. Very bad. Oh my god. So, you were saying that the the way they pull off of past experiences, kind of, you know, they predict the future. What's the other way for extroverted? Extroverted sensing people. These are the people who focus on the present more than the past. And that's very interesting because these kinds of people are, the well, one, they're very good at sports, the majority of them at least. 
Um, that, that's kind of like their stereotype. And the reason why is because they're able to, like basketball, for example, they're able to walk out onto the court and all these, like all the stimulus of what is on the court, what's happening, what's happening now here is they just feel it. They take it in. And so they know what's going on at that moment and they can react in that moment. Way quicker than yeah. a person who has to think back about it. Mm-hmm. They also learn better from other people's experiences. So the people who are high in introverted sensing, they take their own experiences and then build upon that. People who are high in extroverted sensing, though, they take other people's experiences and then build off of that. Is that why they ask like a ton of questions? People who have extroverted sensing, I mean, they can ask lots of questions, but it's mostly about, because like these, these kinds of people, they will look at what their friends are doing and they'll be like, oh, you know, Carl, he um slipped on that ice over there. Maybe I shouldn't walk over there. I've learned from that experience that maybe I, maybe I shouldn't go over to that icy patch over there. It's not necessarily about asking questions. It can be. But it's more about, like, just knowing what other people's experiences are. Versus an introverted sensor would um, say, oh, I remember breaking my arm on a patch that looked just like that, right? And so they would avoid that patch versus... Exactly. "Mm, Okay, 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 okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. Monkey brain's with you. Tiny ape brain. So those are the sensing functions. Next, someone who is high in introverted intuition. These are the type of people who really just want to narrow everything down. Everything? They're they're very focused people. Like um, you, for example, you're very high in introverted intuition. You just want to narrow everything down, everything. Because it makes it easier, does it not? Do you think this way or are you different from me? I have, I'm the exact opposite of everything that you have. So, (laughs) so if you're very high in introverted intuition, I'm very high in extroverted intuition. Oh, so we're going back and forth. We're describing each other basically. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Keep going. Okay. So it's one, it's about, uh, the, Uh, narrowing down aspect and focusing aspect it's also about the future that's just what the intuitive functions are at their core is the future the sensing is about the what is the intuitive functions are about the what if what what will happen so the people who are high in introverted intuition would ask what would happen? What will happen? The people who are high in extroverted intuition will ask themselves what could happen. Do you do you get the like difference? Yes, I do. So uh, okay. An extroverted person thinks to themselves, uh not a extroverted person, extroverted uh intuition. Intuition person. In- intuitive hmm, grammar uh, extrovert intuitive person thinks like 
what could happen. What are all the possible outcomes? Right? Yeah. So they think they look at a scenario. They say, all right, if I'm going to do this, uh, these are the possible scenarios. How can I prepare for that? Mm-hmm. And then uh, an introverted person kind of thinks to themselves, what, what is the most likely scenario? Yes. Oh, okay. And they only think off of that scenario? Yes. Hmm. I'm surprised you got that right. <laughs> I usually would have forgot something like that. Uh, that I can see that apply. Uh, I can also see that being a very blurry line, though. Don't you think? Do I mean, when you're thinking of all possible scenarios, you're thinking of the most likely scenario at the same time, and vice versa. It's There is kind of a blurred line, but the difference is that someone like you, you'll very quickly, briefly just go over like all the different possible and then you're like yep that's the one grab onto it and then only think about that for a long time but someone like me i'll be like okay i have all these different possible outcomes that i see i know that that one's the most likely but that doesn't mean that i should necessarily focus on it the most i'm gonna focus overall just on that 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 and that because I value all the different little things and, and, and I I value like it as a whole. You value the the big hitters, what's really truly important. So you grab uh if we were in I don't know, if we were in a are you ready for the dumbest example of reference we've probably given uh, okay. in this entire series? You if you were put in a uh in a air machine that blows air and then a money machine is dispensed into it so there's money flying everywhere yeah. right you're in a, a, a sealed follow me here this is gonna get really confusing okay. you're in a sealed tube and like money's just flying everywhere right yeah i'm gonna go for the big bills okay yeah i'm gonna go for like the 50s the hundreds even though there's only like one or two of them yeah. but if you are surrounded by like singles tens 20s all around you you are gonna like Try and grab everything around you at once. Yeah. Is that follow? Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, okay, that's a good, all right, all right. That's a good example. Did you understand that? Yeah. All right, all right. So I was I was really struggling with that. I was trying to form that in my brain, and I couldn't do it. But look at me go. Yeah. What's our last two here? Um, well, I haven't really finished with the intuitive functions. Oh, okay. So both the sensing and the intuitive functions... They both really have like it's just like a whole bunch of stuff with them. Like the thinking and the feeling functions, those are pretty straightforward. That's mm-hmm. pretty much all they do. But the sensing and the intuitive functions just like have all these different things that what happen are the with them. Well, we're that's what we're doing. We're going <laughs> over them. Um, so going more into uh, introverted intuitive people they also really focus on their own intentions and their own wants so that's what you're good at is that you really value what you want over what other people want yeah yeah it helps uh why wouldn't you i don't know i guess it I, I will help a person if it leads to the eventual end goal that helps me. Mm-hmm. 
right? But I wouldn't go out of my way to help people. And then I start to feel like a bad person, which is part of my personality. So exactly. what does it even matter? Well, it, it it's also kind of funny because it could be in a roundabout way. It could be about like you want to help people. That could be something that, but but that's only if you want it, right? Sure. So, um, and what do extroverted people want? The extroverted intuitives. Now we're going out of introverted intuitive intuition. Uh, thankfully, we dwelled on that one for a while. Um, these are the big pe- picture kind of people, the ones who don't dwell into things for that long, but they know what all the different things are out there. And so th- this is that kind of looking at the base of the tree and going up kind of perspective where it's at a single point and then it branches out into all these different points. That's basically the extroverted intuitive people. Uh, these are also the people who um, they're good at multitasking, very exceptional at it. Um, but they aren't good at keeping those things, which can suck. Um, they also don't usually focus on what they want that much. I mean, they can, but uh, they're more all about like other people's intentions, other people's wants. They know what the collective... Uh, want is i guess they can kind of sense it out yeah and they'll go for the collective instead of the individual mm-hmm. oh i mean they they can go for what they want but most of the time they're gonna do what what the community wants what the people want yeah so the, like what the friend group wants mm-hmm. hmm. yeah it seems like a good kind of person yeah um th- those are the um entps and the uh, ENFPs, they are extremely high in extroverted intuition. And um, extroverted intuition, it, I don't know, it's just an interesting function, I guess. I'm also very high in extroverted intuition. Could we dive, you could, we could go deeper, right? But I think for the sake of time, we should move on. Yeah. Because we could, we could go third world meta on that topic for like twenty minutes, but then you'd get lost in all the other topics. We're trying to keep this fresh yeah. in your mind. Yeah. So what's the last one? Last two, I should say. Okay. So as someone who is very high in introverted feeling, these are the people who are very moral. They always do what they feel like. They ask themselves, "How does this make me feel?" And then once they are done with that question, they go on to everything else. So, uh, I mean, they don't actually ask themselves that. It's just like your brain automatically just like, how does that make me feel? How does that make me feel? You know, like just you get the picture. I do. And so they are very moral and they have their principles. So that means that they they normally have these like kind of rules that they set for themselves, even if they don't really think about those rules. So if your principles are uh, no drugs, um, no... Partying, partying, no alcohol. Yeah, uh, things like that, then you will stick to those probably forever. Is that me? Yes, that is you. Awesome. You have morals, uh, and you have principles. So you've set principles, and 
you normally just stick to them unless someone changes your mind. And that's for introverted or extroverted? Introverted feeling. Oh. Yes. Very, very high moral compass. What about extroverted? Extroverted feelers, um, they normally ask themselves, how does this make other people feel? So those are the ethical people, again, making that distinction. They feel through other people. So, uh, again, these are the type of people who won't really feel for themselves. But when they're with other people, the mood of the interaction is set by the other person. So depending on how the the first person acts, that is how that person will act. Yes. Is that you? Are you? Yes. I am that way. So if I come in to this podcast booth, <laughs> podcast booth, I'm kidding. It's my room. If I come into the room with just crackhead energy, will you match my crackhead energy? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Like uh, and then if you're like getting all serious, then I'll get serious. You just got to read the room. Yeah. So what happens when you have two people? Is that why we're just so compatible? Yeah. Because every, everything you say is like, Everything we've talked about is playing off each other. Exactly. You and I have the most compatible personality types because all of our main sort of functions, like the the thinking functions, the feeling functions, all of those are in the exact same spots, except you and I are swapped. Mm -hmm. So we both have uh, thinking functions for our... uh, main first function the dominant function except mine is introverted yours is extroverted it's the same for intuition uh sensing just it's in the same spot just flip-flopped yeah flip-flopped so we're like an outlet and a plug-in we're just perfect yeah we're slots and we slide into each other <laughs> and some, I was planting that one for like three minutes. Something to note about compatibility is that the extroverted function is always trying to eat that same introverted function. So your extroverted thinking wants my introverted thinking. And then uh, my extroverted intuition wants your introverted intuition. So we can never be happy with ourselves. We always want the other, even though the other side is equally as whatever, right? Yeah, essentially. Hmm. I, I guess, I suppose. So do you want to keep going on uh, feeling? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these extroverted feeling people, instead of about morals, it's about ethics. And instead of like principles, they're more malleable with with how they feel about certain things it's very it's easier for them to change how they feel about things around people because uh i'm using an example of like a person at a party Uh right if everyone's drinking then they're gonna have a drink versus a person who has a you know a moral against drinking will not drink just because other people are drinking yeah and it's it's all. It can also be like an overtime thing. Mm-hmm. So someone who has introverted feeling like you, if I ask you uh, to drink and you don't want to the first time, you're going to say no. If I ask you the 112th time, you're, you're probably going to say no. No matter how many times I ask you, you're probably going to say no. 
but an extroverted feeler, they could be swayed more. So that's the downfall of extroverted feelers is that um, they can be kind of like... Swayed. Yeah, swayed, peer pressured, whatever you want to call it. But it, it also... Oh my God, this chair's making a million noises. driving yeah. me insane. I'm sorry for the people listening at home if you heard this all night. But um, what was I saying? Uh, another thing is stubbornness, right? So even though they make a moral decision, it's not always a good moral decision. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Uh, You're talking it, about the introverted feelers? Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about introverted feelers right now. Uh, just because they make a, uh, a decision about something doesn't mean it's a good decision. Exactly. Like, it can be a decision about, like, hating, uh, you know, gays, like we talked about in the 1920s. Yeah. They're going to be way less likely to change their um, views and opinions on whatever it may be mm-hmm. uh, just because other people are starting to change. And that that's what you can see with, like, older people and how... You have this stereotype of like, oh, they were just born in that age. That's what they're used to. Mm, Not exactly. Because the extroverted feelers from that age will eventually just come to accept that kind of stuff. Like, for example, we're using gay people um, here. So they're like, okay, yeah, gay people are cool. They're just normal, regular people. And then you have the introverted feelers from that time who are like, this is what I've known. This is my principle. I'm going to stick to it. And so that that's the distinction, I guess. So, yeah, it, that's the downfall of introverted feelers is that they have their principles and they're very stubborn and it can, it can be very hard to change that. So now just because... Um Oh, this fucking chair is going to drive me insane. I'm going to punch a hole through the wall. Just because we covered one thing versus another thing, uh, and and we said some pros and cons for each one, Mm -hmm. right? And we might have missed on some pros. We might have missed on some cons. Don't feel like just because you have this, uh, you know, this function means that you are bad. Like you want to be the other side. That's what your mind wants to think. Like it thinks, oh, the grass is greener on the other side when really it's equally as green and the other side wants what you have. Yeah. Right. So just because we missed for every one of these, there's pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Every single one has pros and cons. Do not feel like you are inferior or that you are worse than another person because you don't have the one thing. Yeah. And like, for example, introverted sensing. The pro is that they're very good at thinking about the past. They have a very good memory. The con is that they can sometimes be too stuck on the past. They can, you know, like have people inside of their life and be loyal to them that they shouldn't be loyal to. Right. And then on the other side, extroverted sensing, it's so great that they could just be present in the moment. They are kind of like the best entertainers because uh, they just are taking everything here now. But also their downside is that they never learn from their own experiences and they have to have other people around to learn from. True. And also, they don't really dwell on the past that much. It's mostly just about here and now. So they usually have very bad memories. There's always pros and, pros cons. and cons. And I, I I hate to say it, but we could probably drill that concept in people for like hours and hours. But at the end of the day, they're going to you know, stop listening to this podcast or they're going to finish this podcast episode. And then immediately I'm going to do it too. You're going to do it. We're instantly going to want what the other has. 
Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Life just sucks. <laughs> I guess. Moral of the story. So we talked Mo- about we talked about these functions, right? Mm-hmm. And what it looks like if you're very high in it. Right. And, and that's a, that was my next question is what you you always say like you're high in this, you're high in that. Is there lows in this and lows in that? Is there mediums? Is there okay, so there's high and low, is there medium? Kind of. Okay. Kind of. So I'd say the the medium are like your third and fourth function. These are going to be the ones that you're like you're like kind of good at. Okay. Hold for a second. How many total functions are there? You have eight inside of your uh, cognitive stack. So this is important Again, distinction, right. I guess. Next question: What is a cognitive stack? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna have to like. Yeah, it's gonna be hard for you to explain some of these things without going real. You gotta you gotta build a base. You're building the house right now. You gotta yeah. explain to the foundation. So, I've talked to you about what the cognitive functions are, what each of them are. Now we're gonna learn how to learn where to put them. Sure. Okay. So your first function, it's called the hero function. This is. I mean exactly what it is. It the first one that develops is the one that you're best at, the, your highest awareness function, right? And so there are eight in your stack, and what the stack is is that you're literally just stacking these functions. It's the first one on top the second one right below it the third one right below that the fourth one right below that i mean pretty self-explanatory it's a it's a stack of functions that you have and does it go from uh best at to worst at yeah okay it goes from most aware to least aware so one is most aware yes eight is least aware yes got it continue okay so now we're gonna learn what each of those eight positions are. Would it be easier if we used an example? If we did a person? I was asking, do you want to do my cognitive stack? Yeah. Okay. We, we can do your cognitive let's, stack. Let's stack me, baby. Okay. Let's, I'm ready. This is what we did in the second uh, part as well. We did this in the second part? Yeah. I remember when you and I talked about uh, each other and... What we each have? what we each have yeah that's what i was doing was going into the cognitive stack but i wasn't really explaining it too much all right now i can just use you as an example sure and only focus on you so your first is the hero function extroverted in, uh, thinking and so that means that you're very high awareness in extroverted thinking you always want structure the second function, it's called the auxiliary function, or it can be called the parent function. And the reason why is because this is the function that is like a filter or a lens inside of your brain. So you have your first function, which is just what your brain is best at. That's what your brain is doing literally all the time, right? Yours is always structuring. Mine is always just like, thinking facts data all that and so 
then it puts that through a filter, which is your second function, the parent function. And so your parent function is introverted intuition. So what your brain essentially does is like, it'll, it'll be like, okay, I am most efficient. I am uh, very structured. I am uh, taking in all of these, all of these facts, all of these data. Now I got to structure it. Now I'm going to put that through the filter of focusing on it. This is why ENTJs are so just massive productivity tools is because not only are you good at structuring, you're good at focusing. So uh, that's your filter or lens. Your, your brain is always like, I need to focus. So not only do I collectively take the most information well, no, I take the most practical information, right? Yeah. From around me. I take the stuff that's going to be most useful to me. And then not only do I take that information, but then I shove it through a lens, like a filter. Yeah. And then I and I pick even the most, the best of the best. Yeah. So I'm able to collect the best, right? And then filter that through to get the best of the best. Uh, essentially, yes. Oh, you make me feel really good about myself right now. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll get into the bad. Oh, okay. There's right. more bad than there is good. <laughs> uh, but that's for it. All the... Yeah, all the yeah. Person remember, types. it's bad for everyone. Yeah. And so then we get to the third function. It's a bit lighter. Um, these are, this is the child function, your third function, the tertiary Why function. Why do they call it child function? Uh, that's because it's where your innocence is. It's what you want. So for you, yours is extroverted sensing. You always want to take in the five functions. You always want to be present. That's what you love doing. You, Your child function can go on forever. It's a very uh, optimistic function, right? So your brain is just like, oh, yay, I love being present and I love giving other people good experiences. Um, that That's another thing is that um, about extroverted sensing is that it's about other people's experiences so when it's your child function you want to give other people good experiences all the time and how that manifests inside of you it's not necessarily about caring how they feel i mean it kind of is but it it's more focused on fun rather than happy so you're like hey i got this cool movie want to watch it with me that's what you did with me right and then uh, you also give me like a ton of show uh, recommendations. Recommendations. You're like, hey, I think you'd like Squid Game. You know, like I really liked it, and I think you would too. Did you ever watch Squid Game? Yeah, I did. Did you like it? Yeah, I love. Fuck it. yeah! I knew that shit. I knew you would like that shit. I knew you would like it. Exactly. So fucking good. And that was you reaching out to me and being like, hey, I want to give you this good experience. Take it. <laughs> And, and uh, another example of a child function is that I have introverted sensing, meaning that I always want to be familiar with things. I always care about the past. That's why um, uh, INTPs have such good memories is because they will just always want to remember things, always want to have their brains as sponges. 
Now going on to the fourth function. This is where it starts to get bad. This is the inferior function. It's also called the aspirational function. That's because, I mean, if you logically think about it, what what the inferior function is is what you worry about most. And so... Don't worry about being a bad person. Yes, you worry about being a bad person. Uh, and the reason why is because yours is introverted feeling, meaning that, you you worry about how you feel you worry about your morals and you worry about your principles so uh you basically just hate feeling you want to push it away you're like hey i'm really good at thinking I'm, i i just want to think that's all i want to do and you got this feeling and you're like mm, no i would rather not deal with that does it get bad when the feelings come out yeah, because you aren't used to it. You haven't, you aren't aware of it, right? Everyone has feelings. It's just the awareness to those feelings that varies from person to person. Is it that the same with all these that we've covered so far? Yeah, everyone has this stuff in their minds. Mm -hmm. It's just how aware we are and how well we use it. Exactly. Everyone has all eight of the cognitive functions. It's just where in the stack it is. Oh, so we're already at number four, and like. Fuck me. <laughs> There's four more, and, and they're not going to be good. They're all bad from here. Okay. All of them. Great. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so that's number four, the inferior. It's also called the aspirational because logically thinking about it, if you have this thing that you worry about all the time, yours is being a bad person. If you flip that around and say, hey, I'm a good person. That's going to make you really happy because you've worried about this like literally all your life. You worry about it all the time. And to say that you are the reverse makes you incredibly happy. So your aspirational function, it's the same as your inferior function. It's the fourth function, except it, it leads to your happiness. It's technically the, the gateway into the subconscious because your subconscious its first function is going to be the fourth function of your ego. And I, that's really confusing. I'm sorry. It, your fourth function leads to your happiness. And your happiness, it's determined by the subconscious, right? That's what we talked about. It's the upstairs to the house. Mm -hmm. And so yours is feeling like a good person. So when you feel like a good person... When, like, for instance, you got really happy at the fact that I liked Squid Game. Mm -hmm. So you wanted to give me a good experience. And when I got that good experience, you're like, yes, I knew it. I am, I'm a good friend. I, I gave him that good experience. I feel good. And that's what made you the happiest. Right? And so you can, you can see these cognitive functions. Um... So that's what the fourth function is, what you worry about the most. Mm -hmm. And um, also what leads to your uh, greatest happiness in life, which is a very interesting way to think about it, I guess. It's hard to move on from uh, greatest happiness in life without it sounding anticlimactic, but what's number five? Okay, that is your nemesis function. 
before we talked about the hero function. Um, now, this is the hero's nemesis. And the reason why it's the nemesis is just because overall, both you don't think about it that much, you aren't very aware of it, and also at the same time, you don't know about it. Like, you, you worry about it. So you don't know it and you worry about it. And I don't make a striver effort to find out about it. Yeah. So you I just ignore it. Yeah. You want to ignore it, and then you worry about it, and then you want to ignore the worryment. <laughs> wow, that sounds super effective and efficient. Yeah. Not. <laughs> and so yours is introverted thinking. So wait, what's my hero? Your hero is extroverted thinking. So this is my anti-hero, number five. Yeah, th- this is uh, introverted thinking. Um, and so y- you'll also notice that the nemesis is the same kind of function. It's just swapped. So for you, because your hero is extroverted thinking, your nemesis is going to be introverted thinking. My nemesis uh, because my hero is introverted thinking, mine is going to be extroverted thinking. And so, because of this, um, what you do is that you worry about being wrong. You worry about if the facts and the data are correct or not. Because what you're doing is taking in all the introverted thinkers, wh- what they have taken in, and then you're putting it into your structure. But then sometimes you think, what if this thing that I'm putting inside of my structure is wrong? That's going to be bad. You worry about that. Kind of like when you are building a house and you're putting down the, the foundation and the beams and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. And like you wonder to yourself as you're putting them up, is that wood faulty? Does yeah. that wood look cracked? That's a good way of putting it is that you're looking at that and you're like, I know, I know how to structure it, but I, I don't know if that thing that I'm putting into my my vision, my structure is good. It's like when I plug, like you said, the filter. Like if I'm plugging things into the filter, uh, am I gonna? Is that gonna get past? Like, is is that right? Yeah. Like, can I put this in the filter? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And and so, uh, one, you worry about it, and then two, you also don't do it that often, so you don't really think for yourself that often. No. Um. You, you more just take in other people's thoughts and then put it inside of your structure. And that manifests, uh, for example, for math. You can be like, it can be very tough for you to do math. Mm-hmm. Because, like, in elementary school, uh, it was probably very easy for you to do math. Because the learning style there is they teach you how to do it. They very much are like, this is how you do it. Step by step, middle school math was my shit. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I know how to do it. I'm going to do it. But high school math, it's more like, okay, you learn it yourself. And you're like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> is, that I, why, is that why I get so mad with my, uh, my math teacher and my uh, science teacher? Yes. It's because I'm like, teach me, you motherfucker. Yeah. Do your job. Exactly. Goddamn. And that's also the reason why you would rather go to the answer key is because you don't want to think for yourself. You'd rather just go based off of what other people think and then work backwards. It just, 
especially with math, because with the way they're teaching math, right? Yeah. Let's say we're learning a new concept. It, it, and here's where I super struggle with math. And this is exactly the reason why. We're learning a new concept in math, right? Mm-hmm. Brand new concept. Instead of just telling us how to do the concept and showing me an example on the board, it's like those long ass word problems that like slowly develops the idea of the concept. And for some people that works out great, but for others, people who are like me, I can't focus with that shit. Mm -hmm. I cannot focus. It is the most annoying thing in the world to not tell me how to do it and then have me slowly work through this long, tedious problem. It's for me to understand when the teacher who knows how to do it can just go up there and fucking do it himself and show me an example. And then I learn off of that example Mm -hmm. because by the time that I stop giving a shit about how Jimmy fucking, I don't know, has two fish behind a curtain and what curtain, you know, has the third, whatever it may be, right? By the turn, time I learn, like, no, not even by the time because I don't learn. I give up halfway through because it's just so stupidly not efficient to me. It doesn't comprehend in my mind that by the time I work through that, I've already just stopped paying attention. I give up and then I wait for him to explain it and then I get lost because he won't explain it or he'll rush through it because he thinks that we've gone through it already how many people in the world are like this how many people are like me it's how many people can't do that where they oh god it's just so annoying those are all the extroverted thinkers those are the people who are high in extroverted thinking rather than and what percentage of the population is that i don't know i would be guessing probably around probably maybe like 50 60 percent 50 60 percent are extroverted thinkers yes where they struggle with this like this yeah and and, and it's so dumb to me that teachers can't like mm, it's it, it's aggravating that they think that they can just cpm or like whatever your math textbook is thinks that this oh yeah we built this perfect textbook that applies to all kids it applies to 50 percent of the fucking kids like have you're failing half the class by trying to teach them this way and then the ones that don't understand or don't comprehend like that they have to go through different means and it's extra work and it's work outside of school and then eventually because it's so stupidly inefficient they just give up that work outside of school and they decide i'd rather just not give a fuck and then wait till test day and then try and jam it all in the night before exactly It, it it baffles my mind when we could so easily change things and we just decide not to how hard would it be to have two different textbooks and this is why I love talking with Eddie because you can look at the world through a scope where you can see the different sides of everything, right? So you can take this object, flip it over on the other side, and then notice the other side is equally as valuable as the first side. And and I love that. I love that so much is that we can we can effectively break down the world. And you can break down anything with personalities. Any way a human interacts with everything, little thing, every little thing can be structured and reorganized to flip it the complete opposite way it's like a mind fuck it's like a whole new dimension when you look through the lens of a different person and then you can see that everything has a solution truly yeah and that's again you can look at our personalities and see why that happens why we're so compatible so what you were saying was i can bring out both sides into the perspective that's because I have extroverted intuition. That means that I look at the big picture. And then you are the one who takes those things and you're like, okay, now that I know both sides, what do I want to do with that? Mm-hmm. How can I fix things? How can I develop things? 
Okay. Now that we've gone on that super long sidetrack rant. Yep. Uh, that was five. That, yep. That was the nemesis function. Both what you don't think of and what you worry about. Okay. Basically just like the opposite of the hero. Everything is good with the hero. Your your hero is just like big buff super guy and then the nemesis fights it all the time. But that's the interesting thing about the nemesis is that without the nemesis your hero can't be a hero. There's nothing to fight against. Right? So uh it also goes into you essentially wish that you could think for yourself because um you would you would rather be that kind of person who can just like think up of all these crazy cool ideas and things like that like introverted thinkers do right i can't and that's what you wish for and so you can start seeing that this is the start of the unconscious and this is getting into so such low awareness that we are these are the unconscious functions right and so your unconscious it has its own personality type away from the ego this is what we talked about before in uh, part 1 right and so uh your unconscious is intp it's who you would want to be the most right it's who you're most compatible with as well so your nemesis, while it may be the thing you're probably worst at, it's also the thing that you wish you could be. I hate it. I really do. But I can't change it. Yeah. And, and, and the quicker people accept that, the better off you'll be. And my, my nemesis function is your hero function. Um, I fight with my extroverted thinking. I worry about what other people think. I also don't know what other people think. And so it um, that creates problems for me. It's a great example for uh, not only not understanding it, but pushing it to the side. You don't know what other people think, but then you don't care what other people think. Exactly. And also I worry about what other people think. So it... Um, yeah, that probably creates a lot of problems for me, right? And But also, I wish that I was very good at knowing what other people think. I wish that I was good at structuring things, being efficient. That's what you're really good at. That's what the, you know, your, your nemesis, you fight with it a lot. Your hero function battles with the nemesis, but it, it's also what you wish you could be, so. What is six? Six is the critic function. That is the most simplified function out of all of them. It's what you're critical about. Who would have thought? Um, yours is extroverted intuition. Maybe this probably affects you the most in relationships, like just friends, family, things like that. And the reason why is because you're critical about other people's intentions, and you're also critical about what they want. Um... Do I do I take what they want and push it through a moral compass of yes. my own? Yeah. So just because they do something, I think, why do you do that? I don't do that. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Because you focus more on what you want, what your intentions are. And so if 
their intentions don't line up with your intentions, then you're like, why would you do that? Sometimes you can even take it as like a personal offense. You're like, these aren't lining up with my intentions and what I want. And that's not good. That makes me uncomfortable. Why would you do that? Um, so yeah, that, that can create like conflict inside of your relationships. I mean, the critic function, it really sucks because you probably, it probably is more in your thought process than the nemesis. So you don't, you don't really think about your nemesis function that much, but you do about the, the critic function. Mine is introverted intuition, meaning that I'm critical about my own intentions. I'm critical about what I want. It's why when my mother asks me, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I don't know. I got no clue. I literally don't even think about what I want. I'm very critical about what I want. I was searching for a laptop a few months ago, or maybe just one month now ago, and I was looking at all the possible outcomes with my extroverted uh, intuition, and I, I was like, God, I, I want this, but like it could be the wrong thing. You know, um, what am I going to do with this? What What's my intent? Things like that. And... So yeah, the the critic function isn't so isn't so good. <sighs> I don't even want to ask what seven is. That one is the trickster function. Trickster function is probably the most annoying out of all of them. That's why it's the trickster. Um, so this one is what you completely just do not know. You never think about it. It's almost your lowest awareness function, but not <laughs> But there's really. eight. There's always eight. There's always lower. It always gets worse. Yep. Um, so the seventh function, like, like your eighth function, the demon function, it's more involved in your life, but that's only because it comes out when you're angry. The, the seventh function, it, it's still in the unconscious, but it doesn't, it manifests in no way in your life. Yours is introverted sensing familiarity, meaning that it's very hard for you to get familiar with things. It's also very hard for you to memorize things. That's why you have such a bad memory is because it is in the spot in which it is the hardest for you to remember things. You have the personality type of the worst memory. Out of everyone. Yes, out of all the 16. Literally the world, out of 16 yes. personality types, I have the worst memory. Mm -hmm. Of course I do. Why wouldn't I? It's just my luck. And then mine is extroverted sensing, meaning I am the worst at being present. I am the worst at sharing experiences with people in the physical environment. Why? Why? So I, I just, is my... Uh, uh, do so all these things coincide, right? Mm -hmm. So for to have one thing, I if I want to be efficient, I can't have good memory, can I? If you want to be present, you can't have good uh, memory. Why does it have to be a trade-off? 
this is why um, knowing this is so good is because you get to look at the cognitive functions and, uh, you know, the, I guess the best way to put it is that throughout this whole entire uh, episode, I have been saying your awareness. And the reason why I use that word is because you have these cognitive functions. They are there. They're in your mind. It's just your awareness to them that is different. So you have a memory, right? It's just you, you aren't very aware of it. I wish I could be. And I'm uh. and and so you you can be though. You just have to remind yourself and be more aware of it. Just yeah. So basically like if there's a date for a test, right? Mm-hmm. And I know the teacher says January 16th or whatever. I have to say to myself, "All right, January 16th. I'm not going to remember that. I'm going to write a reminder right now because I know I'm not going to remember that." Stuff like that, little things like that. That's more compensating SI with SE because essentially what you're doing is let's say you have this calendar on the wall or whatever and you're like I know that I'm not going to remember that therefore I'm going to write it down in the physical environment which is using extroverted sensing and then putting it down onto the calendar so you aren't really using your memory in that sense you're more using an outside source, extroverted uh, source. Okay, to be so able then to being able to say, all right, the test is January 16th. I might forget that. I have to remind myself daily. Yes. Like get up. Be to like, basically just drill it inside of your head. I, and that's what sucks about people who are good at extroverted sensing is that they're bad at introverted sensing, so they have to do more practice than people who have introverted sensing. All these things come out at school, I feel like, more than anything. Yeah, well, that's just because you have, like, that's your hardest environment to be in. Me? Well, everyone. Like, for someone who's, like, 25 and has a desk job, they'd be like, oh, I see that at work. Because that's just their hardest environment at that point in time. Um, your hardest environment at this point in time is school. So that's where you like are able to really see. I mean, you focus everyone focuses on the negative points the most. And so when you hear all this, you're like, oh, I remember that negative point over there. Why I'm so bad at that, you know. Uh, so the last one sounded really cool and I'm super interested. You said the eighth one is the demon function? Yes. That is your lowest awareness function. It is the gateway into the superego. Oh god. And so this is, uh, for you, it's extroverted feeling. How that manifests is that essentially you, you twist it. You twist your, that function demonically. You basically take that function and you're like, how can I use this to be evil? The first one? No, no. Just one? What, whatever... Uh, function is in the demon slot Mm -hmm. so for you it's extroverted feeling you take extroverted feeling and you're like how can i use this as a weapon and so for you whenever you get pissed off or mad you say okay how are they feeling right now i'm going to take that and i'm going to weaponize it 
So what you do is you go after people's insecurities. And because you're already really good at reading people, right? You, um, you have extroverted thinking. So what you're able to do is basically just say, well, I've read them over time. And so this is the most efficient way that I can make them feel bad. Just by going after their insecurities? Yes. What I know will get to them? Yeah. And am I good at it? Yeah. Because it's efficient? Yes. You are very efficient at making them feel bad. It's a skill. Thank you very much. It's not one that I like, but... Mm -hmm. It's also twisting it in the fact that if you have extroverted feeling as a hero function, you very much care about how uh, other people feel. If you have it as a demon function, again, you're twisting it. So that means that you're like, okay, I know how this person feels. I don't care. <laughs> I don't I don't no. give two shits about that. I am going to, in fact, go after that. My demon function is introverted feeling. So how that manifests is that uh, basically I, I look inwards and I'm like, okay, how, how am I feeling right now? And then again, demon function twists it. So now it's going to be, well, of course I'm feeling angry. I'm incredibly angry right now. And so you, you weaponize that. And um, this is the same with, with all the functions, right? And, and so if you, if you have FI as your demon function, then you're going to be like, okay, now I'm now I'm only going to care about how I feel. I'm not going to care about how you feel. Uh, so you talked about how I, because I'm an external feeler, right? You talked about you're, you're an introverted feeler, but oh. for your for your demon function, you're external. Yes. So you talked about how. I take people's insecurities and twist them. What do you do? You say you get mad, but what is what does that entail? Basically, you're like, if you say, hold up, calm down, I'm going to be like, no, I'm mad. For a long time. Yes. Uh, basically, again, FI, introverted feeling, is about morals and principles. So what that means is that when I get angry, I start creating morals and principles and how that manifests is if like I get angry at you, then I'm going to have the, the morality feeling of it's going to be your fault. I dislike you, you know, and like you're, you are the one who made me angry and I'm going to keep on thinking that because that is a principle that I have created now. I only care about how I feel. I do not care about how you feel. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesomely terrifying. <laughs> Your, uh, yours is also terrifying. Like when I get angry, I focus in on how I feel. When you get angry, you focus on how they feel and attack it. Uh, I wish I could take, because at least when you get mad, it's over a long period of time, right? So it might be able to ruin your uh, your day, right? And it might be able to ruin others based on, like, how they sense the world around them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but when I get mad, I, I say things that like I can't unsay, and I always feel bad. Yeah, that that's another big problem with you is or with your cognitive stack at least is that you'll you'll say something and then um you'll feel really guilty because of your inferior function which happens to be feeling like a bad person so so you'll go after their insecurities and then you'll walk away from that being like i'm a horrible person i'm a horrible person for saying that what kind of are i just pointed out all their biggest insecurities and made them feel bad Come on. Mm. So when we reorganize the stack in certain ways, right, mm-hmm. we start to see the different pers- the 16 different personality types, right? Yes. Now let me ask you this. Are there certain stack combinations, right, that cannot happen? Because of, yes. of course we, we looked at this um, as like, so this is here, this is here. You can't just randomize this. Yeah. It has to be a very specific way based on what it is. Tell me some stacks that are literally impossible. That cannot be. Okay. So we we talked about before how if you are good at one thing, you can't be good at the other. So if you're good at introverted thinking, you can't be good at extroverted thinking. So therefore, you can logically assume you can't have your first be introverted thinking and your second be extroverted thinking. Um, uh if you have introverted thinking in your ego, in your normal setting of mind, then it will be inside of your unconscious, your lower awareness functions, your four lowest awareness functions. So that's going to be five through eight. What do you think? I'm, now I'm just asking broad questions because we're getting towards the end of the episode, don't you think? I'm asking just more general questions. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most interesting personality? I mean, they're out of all 16. I know they're all you're going to probably say some bullshit like they're all equally uh, fascinating me. But like, truly, what personality type is like? uh, I was going to say that I have some of my favorite ones, but to other people, they could have their own favorite ones. And it really depends on the person. It's all subjective. Right. Because they all have their pros and their cons. And yeah. What do you think is the coolest? Well, I mean, again, like, because my unconscious is ENTJ, your personality type, I am most likely inclined to be like, oh, ENTJ, because your unconscious is who you would want to be. So obviously, you're just going to be attracted to ENTJs. So it's all, uh, you know, it's it's opinion-based. Yeah, it's subjective. If you're ever um, curious what you are, uh, Eddie has a set questions that you can you can ask him and he'll tell you what it is. Or there's online you can look up. What is it? What is this type of personality test called? Um, it's called the type grid. Okay. Yeah. And so also then you can go on personalities-database.com and you can look at a you can search by your personality type and see fictional uh, and real characters and real people. Yeah, people people like vote. And put in what they think is that person's most likely personality type. Not sponsored, but if you, it's kind of funny. Uh, the way me and Eddie know some of our friends, right? We'll look at their personality type and compare them to like celebrities or fictional characters. And we're like, he's just like that. 
Yeah. He's so like that. Um, and we kind of sound like gossip girls when we say that, but it's true. It's pretty fascinating. Even when I look at other ENTJs like myself, and I know Eddie's looked at INTPs, um, we start to see a pattern, right? Yeah. So, of course, this is a this is a database.com based on people are going to you know, type celebrities, not everyday random people that are going to type celebrities. Mm-hmm. So when we we're looking at INTPs, we saw there were like tons more fictional characters than real characters, which makes sense because INTPs kind of want to be left alone. They're introverts. Yeah. It's I, introvert. It's in there, right? So when they want to be left alone, they don't want to be celebrities. Um, they don't want to be out there as much, but that's not going to stop, you know, creators from making different personality types and shows where INTPs show up because mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're pretty common. They're co- well, they're kind of, I don't know how common they are. Uh, they're like, I guess, decently common. They're, they're about like 5%. Or- Regardless, the show writers don't even know they're doing it, but when they're making characters that are real life, there are INTPs. So that's why we see a ton more fictional characters than, yeah. For know. For instance, Thanos, he's an INTP. Right, do you think you think Thanos wants an uh wants to be an Emmy award winning actor? <laughs> Probably not. Uh I think it's just cool. I think personalities are really cool. The um the type of personality test that I use is probably the one of the least commonly used ones, but in my opinion the most accurate. And it also only takes six questions. You just have to answer them correctly. Because I've I've had it where I've mistyped people before. That's been very angering. For you? Yeah. Just because like because then I'd be like, Oh, this person is this and then I'd realize that they aren't that and then I'm like, Okay, then they're this, but then it's hard for me to like go back and because then I keep on thinking that they're the the personality type that I mistyped them as, you know. I'm going through some famous high NTPs right now, and some of them are really funny. I'm sorry. It's uh, we have some people like, oh god, I mean, I gotta scroll through the anime characters. There's so many. Uh, Bill Gates. We have uh Dipper from Gravity Falls, is an INTP. <laughs> Patrick Star is an INTP. Uh, what? Yeah. Patrick Star is not an INTP. There's no way. And again, this is voted upon. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, people say he's it's a majority INTP. Really? Like a by a lot. INTP or ISFP. Those are two incredibly different uh yeah. See, that's the And again, it's it's again, it's it's controversial cuz it's opinion based and so yeah. people vote. Um I don't know. I just I love personality types and I think it's an interesting cop- topic. And, and if you think about it in this hour and 47 minute mark We've only talked about like one, well, two main things. We've talked about uh, the different, you know, bases of the personality. And then we've talked about the cognitive stack. Yeah. We talked about our functions and the cognitive stack. And that's literally two topics. And we milked that out for two hours. Like, that's great. It's great content. I think it's very informative. Eddie's a very smart man in the fact that he does not need a phone. These are not scripted episodes. He knows this shit. He just knows it. He doesn't need bullet points. He doesn't need anything like that. He can literally just remember all this. And he's so fascinated by personality types that he just, I don't know. It's great. Don't you agree? Yeah. I think that when you when you do have something that you love and can just talk about it forever and remember every aspect of it, then... 
And then if we also think this from a personality standpoint, your personality type struggles with extroverted thinking. And I think deep down you don't even realize it, but I think this was an effort to understand people better. Yeah, probably. Because if you could type them, then you can, on a piece of paper, you can physically see how they act. It's essentially... You're super INTP. That That's what I've done with this has been going through the cognitive functions that I'm bad at and trying and being better at them. So over time, I have been less critical about what I want and my intentions because I know that that's just my personality type talking. That's not necessarily what I should actually be concerned about. So I I focus on those kind of things less because I know that it's it's really about um sorry what what I should want like if I want something maybe I should get it you know more of the story just to recap everything if you want to take one thing away from this episode it's that yeah again said this like four times now but I love to say it the grass is not green on the other side it is equal amounts play to your strong points and improve upon what you are lacking even if you don't know your personality even if you don't want to know even if you don't care think to yourself okay what am i bad at because like me and eddie said throughout this entire episode just because you're bad at something does not mean you can not get better at it you can get better at it all the time always and when you when you realize that you know the first step is admitting right they talk about that like uh AA classes, but um, the first step is accept. Well, admitting, right? Admitting you have a problem. Admitting that you have bad memory. Admitting that you're you suck at reading people. Stuff like that. And then, not only playing to your stute. Like, what am I good at? Oh, I'm good at internal thinking. I can think for myself. I have these great opinions. Once you have a great idea or a great opinion, okay, I know I'm really bad at this. But let's think about for like a good. Let's think about twice as long how I thought about how great of an idea this is. How can I make this idea better? How can I streamline it? How can I, You can improve upon everything in life just by simply making an idea more efficient. Yeah. And I think one important distinction with that is that most people think that acceptance and change are two different things. And they really aren't. Acceptance is the first step to change, right? Because you have to be able to accept the fact that you are bad at things. You have to be like, okay, I am bad at this. That's what accepting it is. And then you get to choose whether you truly want to grow upon that or not. And because you could be bad at something and be like, "Uh, I'm okay with being bad at it. Or you could, on the other side, be like, I I have accepted that I am bad at this. Maybe I should improve. And so, yeah, like Jacob had said, the first step is acceptance. God, I love this podcast. Fuck, I love this podcast so much. And if you like it, give it a follow. Give it a listen. Listen to our other episodes. They're not all serious like this. Some of them are really funny, I think. Um, Internet's Hardest Questions is probably one of my favorite episodes we've done. People like to hear us argue. Um, 
And if you're looking for more informative stuff like this, Personalities Part 1 was a great step-by-step guide through just the brain itself and like how we perceive the world. And I really encourage people to like, follow, share, all kinds of stuff. Uh, we really appreciate it. We, you know, we put in a lot of, not effort, but time, definitely time into these episodes. Yeah. And we practice like, <laughs> there was one time where we sat here for like 20 minutes beforehand just having conversations back and forth so we can prepare for the podcast episode and give you guys the most quality experience on that episode. Mm -hmm. We love you. We love this podcast episode. This has been Writing the Narrative with Jake and Eddie. I'm Jake. And I'm Eddie. And we're going to be signing out. See ya. Goodbye.